Hello and welcome to Super Saturday as a comic book media podcast where we rank media by its story, impact, and visuals to figure out if these projects will stand the test of time. I'm Damon Ayn. And I'm Jay Hayward. And each episode will be focusing on your favorite comic books, TV shows, and movies. And this week, Spider-Man has stolen once again our time, attention, and our hearts. Why is that, you ask? Spider-Verse, of course. Join us, soups as we dive into every dimension we possibly can this weekend as we discuss Spider-Man, Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Dad. Uh, there's like a superior Spider-Man in there once. Um, Spider-Gwen, uh, old woman Spider-Man, and of course, Spider-Man and the Multiverse of Madness. On with the show. Okay, Soups, we thought it'd be interesting to talk about the original Spider-Verse, the one that isn't the comic book Spider-Verse, but arguably the very first one that came out in 1998. We're talking about Spider-Man, the animated series, Spider-Wars, part one and part two. And then we're going to take it to present day. We're going to be talking about Across the Spider-Verse. All right. So first things first. Spider-Man the Animated Series, these two episodes, came out in 98. Jay, what was happening in the comic book world in 98? Yeah, now, I was taking a look during this uh, week for the episode to really see what was happening in 1998, and I couldn't see a whole lot that was interesting me comics-wise, but since we're talking about television and movies, I thought it'd be prominent to see what was happening in that world. So in 1998... We had seen the release of the first Blade film, mm, yeah. which is so fantastic and hokey and is worth seeing at least once in your lifetime. I don't know about so much the other two, but the first one, so fun. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And whoa. The second one is freaking it's a masterpiece. Guillermo del Toro did the second movie. That's true. That is true. But that first one, though, think of that opening. When he like fights all those vampires at the blood rage, yes, the and the blood rage move music, <laughs> yes, man, nothing can beat that scene for me personally. Honestly, it was stylistic. It was stylistic as fuck. I love that. It movie. was. It felt like a music video in some places too. For television, we had seen the release of Batman Sub Zero, so technically it was a film, but I don't think it was released in theaters like how Phantasm was. Was it? Uh, it was straight to video. Yeah, straight to video for that one. But fantastic film. I think I've seen it maybe once or twice. I haven't seen it as many times as maybe like Mask of Phantasm or many of the other films in Batman's long list of movies. But I remember being very enjoyable, and I love Mr. Freeze as a character, and getting to see Robin and Batgirl, even though she wasn't in it as much as I would have liked her have been. Hmm. Fantastic, fantastic movie. Um, but that's what I know was going on in 1998. What about you, Damon? What did you find? Um, well, you know, in all honesty, the one thing that I wanted to bring up is how I could have sworn the Clone Saga was still going on in Spider-Man comics around this time. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my goodness. We're going to talk about the clones so much today. 
clones like, and different variants and all the other type of shit. Honestly, we're going to say Spider-Man 10,000 times. Okay, so, you know, before we dive in, Jay, I got to ask, between both of the pieces of media and everything Spider-Man, who would you say is your favorite Spider-Man? Okay. Or Spider-Man so, character? I thought long and hard about this. And originally, I was going to do a fun joke one because I feel like that's something that I'm known to do on the show. So, but this time I'm going to, I'm going to throw something actual authentic here. I'm going to say, and this is going to be very specific. I'm going to say PlayStation 4 Spider-Man before they did the remodel where he looks like Tom Holland. Insomniac Spider-Man. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't care what anybody else says. He, they did make him look like Tom Holland. I don't know. It's a little, it's a little weird. I mean, he, he it, it grew on me. Like a baby face. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the thing is, is that it's gonna have to grow on us because it's like that's the one we got. Yeah. And you know, the thing that really hit me the other day is that is going to be the Peter Parker that we're going to see in the the new game. So it's like. I don't know. My brain's still wanting to see what I remembered seeing the first time I played the game, but yeah, that's not going to be the case, and I'm not really ready for that yet. You know what I mean? I have a Funko Pop that has the original design of Peter Parker's face on it. Oh, no yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, I think that's my only Spider-Man Funko Pop, too. So, yeah. That's a good one to have, though. That's a cool one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would have to say for me. Hmm. Yeah, there's so many for you to pick from, Damon. Oh, my yeah. goodness. I would say my favorite Spider-Man would have to be Spectacular Spider-Man, if we're talking like Peter variants oh, or whatever. You would. Oof. You would. That's so like. Like, that shit was. That show is amazing. That show is so fucking amazing. Literally, no point. I should have just said that. I should have known that that was yeah. what you were going to pick. It's not a bad one to pick, though. I can't rag on you too hard, but it was like, ugh. I would say I really love Miles from the Spider Verse movies. Those are like those adaptions are pretty good. He's a great character. Yeah, he's pretty dope. Uh, yeah, that's that's where I'd leave that at. I would say, yeah, that that if we're talking like Spider Man secondary characters, though, I would say, ooh, my favorite Spider Man secondary character would have to be Mary Jane. I know, like, adaptions wise, she's been done dirty, but comic book mary jane is the shit she's great secondary characters so like part of like his friends or or foes like his uh supporting cast or even like his supporting cast yeah uh jay jonah is uh totally one that i love i love that character to death he has a special place in my heart 100 i fucking love jay jonah jameson he's fucking (laughs) he's wild he's a lot of things but he's not a terrible person he is He's great. He's great. That is actually a, a Funko, not a Funko, a one of those Marvel figures, the Marvel legend for J. Jonah Jameson. That's one that I regret not getting because he had like the multiple head swaps and everything too. And I the thought that comic was really version sick. or the movie version? I would want the comic one. Yeah, personally. I regret Just not getting about the comic that, one. that buzz cut looking hair yeah. and everything. Yeah, I, I regret not getting comic. it because uh, it, it's expensive now, uh, surprisingly. 
Not, I'm not too surprised. That yeah. one, like, that, everyone has to have a J. Jonah if you're really making a huge, like, Spider-Man collection of, like, your figures or, you know, whatever with your Marvel Legends stuff for those who collect. I know some of you got to be out there. Um, That is totally one that everyone needs in their set. Yeah. No, that's cool. Yep. that That's what I would say uh, my secondary character would have to be. Okay. Well, without further ado, Soups, let's dive into this giant-sized issue. Daenerys, everybody. Round of applause. Good job, Neri. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man is taken to an alternate dimension where due to a series of events, it's native Peter has bonded with the Carnage symbiote to become the maniacal Spider-Carnage. Spider-Carnage has devastated and demolished New York City with the aid of Kingpin, Alistair Smythe, the Hobgoblin, and Green Goblin. Spider-Man must team with a band of himself to save the day. Okay, this these two episodes are like the last two episodes of the entire Spider-Man animated series. And I gotta say, I remember watching this shit a lot when I was a kid. I even have the these two episodes on DVD. And like, I don't know, I like these episodes. But, you know, what were your initial thoughts, Jay? I'll say right off the bat, I have really no nostalgia, like glasses or goggles for this kind of series myself. So I don't really have a whole lot of history with this show in particular. I remember the song. I have a lot of great nostalgia for the song. The opening theme for Spider-Man, I yeah. think, is one of the best that has come out. It's by Aerosmith. For No kidding. Is that really Aerosmith? Well, it's one of the dudes from Aerosmith, but yes, it is. Oh, okay. That's so sick. I did not know that. Yeah. I love it. I love that song. Definitely one of the best to look back on for an animated series. And I remember as a kid, talk about On Demand again. Uh, I've watched a couple of episodes there, and that was my introduction to Mysterio. Yeah. Was through those episodes, and I thought that was an interesting character, but I didn't get to see a whole lot of it past that in my childhood. So going into this, I was very surprised that it was the ending of the series. So I was kind of wondering how exactly this was going to like take us as the audience and originally i felt like we were getting hit with a million things at once and then and then a whole bunch of like little things were happening and then a whole lot of exposition and then a lot was happening and then 20 minutes ended like it was it was Kind of like a weird whiplash of pacing, I'm going to be honest with you. It was breakneck but, speed and then random ass, like, flashbacks. Like, I, okay. Yes. With the little swirly effect over the screen. <laughs> <laughs> classic. Honestly, classic. But, you know, I can't say that I didn't have a fun time. So I'll say, overall, I had a pretty positive first experience here with these episodes. I got to know, though, about like your first time with this, Damon. Do you remember your first time watching these last two episodes, the finale of this series, what that was like for you? I do. Like, I remember watching this, like, because this show was syndicated all the way to hell on JetX and Toon Disney, even prior to Disney buying Marvel. Um, okay. And I remember watching this a lot. I even had the DVDs. I remember when I was a kid back at Hollywood Video, we rented the Green Goblin and Spider-Man DVD set. Surprisingly enough, this show has never been put on like DVD or Blu-ray as like a full complete series. They've only been like 
putting like storylines on DVDs. That's it. Like I remember, like one year for my birthday, you actually bought me the Venom Saga yes. DVD. Yeah. Yep, I remember that. I have. Uh, I think I have uh, one where he teams up with Daredevil. Yeah, I love that one. I don't. I I haven't watched that one though. On uh, admittedly, but it's so rare when you do see that show. Yeah. on dvd or available in stores sometimes you may see them secondhand and they're only going for a couple bucks you know it's not like it's a huge collector item type of deal but you do think that they would put a lot more work or effort into making it a lot more available say like the the 60s show or even now with spectacular spider-man it, that had a blu-ray mm -hmm. mtv i think had a dvd release a couple of times but maybe that's another one that's also been lost in this kind of hellscape of distribution that I'm sure that this show is lost in as well, you know? I think it's like um, the MTV one for a while, it's still like it's not in like constant circulation. I know that like what really caused them to get more in circulation again was back in 2014 was Amazing Spider-Man 2 came out. That's when they started re-releasing this stuff. And that was why Spectacular Spider-Man was put on Blu-ray was because of that. Uh, like... I don't know. This show really is slept on. It's not, but it is. Like, Spider-Man fans, yeah, they like this show. Because this show really is a faithful adaption to, like, the character in a lot of different areas. Is it the best adaption? No. But it's up there. And honestly, this show really deserves a lot of credit. Because there's a lot of things in this show that they did that was then brought into other adaptions and even into the comics. This show gave Kingpin an origin story. This show added a little bit more to the black suit because jay i don't know if you knew about this or not but like in the comics peter like when he had the black suit the black suit didn't really affect his emotions like he wasn't angry while having the suit the suit didn't do that what had happened was that like yeah the suit did make him stay up late at night and everything and it did use his body as like a meat puppet but he wasn't like having like anger fits or whatever he had anger fits because Peter in the comics already is kind of snappy and the show kind of like you know twisted that a little bit and just said that the suit was doing that which I think that was a nice addition because in the comics Peter only got rid of it because he realized it was alive and thought it was gross <laughs> Ooh, creepy ew I mean I'd be creeped out um, too I don't know no that's fair that's totally fair but it does add a lot more when you do think of the way that it does alter how it changes peter's personality and his attitude and the way how it's been evolved mm -hmm. in its own type of character really when you think of that suit because it it really is just venom yeah and then beyond that just all the ways that venom has evolved throughout uh throughout history you know what i mean exactly um, but no that's so wild to think about that in a lot of ways this show was doing a lot of the same type of legwork that you would say the DC animated shows were doing prior to or, or the, around the same time of this, uh, near the same decades, right? With Superman and on the same channel, not too, too long around this time, and Batman finishing up what a little bit after this, or we're in what new uh, adventures now? I'd say like or... a little bit before this, and then coming back with uh, new adventures or whatever. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting because, like, both of these shows were on the same network. Uh, X-Men and Batman were on the same network, too, on Fox Kids or whatever. And That's uh, kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. 
Uh, just a lot of cool shit with this show. Honestly, like my first thoughts, I gotta say, the things that really stuck out to me was the voice acting. The voice acting in this show, a little over the top in some areas, but pretty good. <laughs> but you know what? We'll get into that. Voice acting is crazy all over the board. Let's dig straight into this, huh? Yeah. We start with the Beyonder. We see the Beyonder and Spider-Man and Madam Web. Literally, this takes place right after Secret Wars. Jay, they did an okay. adaption of Secret Wars three episodes ago. Yes. Tell me about this. So when I was looking for the episode to watch for the show today, I just had no clue where exactly this was coming in because on like the streaming services that I was looking at, it was saying it was like part three and part four of a larger story. What was the name of the title for this one here? I really it hate was, clones. I, I really, really hate clones. Mm. There's two reallys. Um, where it does kind of just like jump in into like this weird alternate and hellscape New York. I just had no clue how we got to this spot. So I need to ask Damon, who the hell is the Beyonder? What the hell was the Spider-Man Secret Wars? Listen, that was a big thing. Uh, it was It's a whole thing to fucking talk about. But uh, the Secret Wars was an adaption of the book that came out in the 80s, which, long story short, it's basically just imagine you got all the toys from the Marvel Universe, right? And you get your toys and you got all the bad guys. And then you have a fight between the good guys and bad guys on an exotic uh, alien landscape. Boom. There you go. That's Secret Wars. The difference between that story and what happens in the show is that Spider-Man is the one who chooses the heroes that helps him on his team. Like, basically, Beyonder wants to, like, test and have a battle between good and evil, and Spider-Man is the one who chooses which heroes he chooses. So, like you said, Jay, we're in a hellish landscape, and then all this shit is happening, and, like, literally, it's blowing this shit, and then we see the Hobgoblin and the Green Goblin, which is kind of surprising, because throughout the show, they hate each other. Jay, did you realize Mark Hamill voiced the Hobgoblin? Oh, of course. Like, straight straight away, I was like, I recognize that raspiness anywhere. Yeah, it's just which, the Joker at that point. It really is. Honestly, when you think about it, the Joker voice never really sounded that way back in the animated series, but started to sound that way as he got older. Mm. I think this is really the first time he starts to have like this Joker-esque voice is from the Hobgoblin, where, mm. where it becomes that bit more raspy, like we have begun to know it with... Uh, the video games and all the other appearances that he's done a lot more in the two thousands and onwards. Um, especially cause when you think of all, a lot of the other characters that he's done, they all kind of get stuck with that little bit of raspiness. Now that's just kind of due to his voice now. Yeah. But it, it really did start. I feel like here when I think of the timeline of all the different voice work that he's done, which to me was a fun treat. But oh my goodness, Damon, I have to say here, and especially for those at home, because I know there has to be a few out there. It can't just be me. It really felt like we were going boom, 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 boom. Breakneck Stuff speed. was going super quick. Like, soups, episode starts. Spider-Man is just transported into this destroyed New York. Not even his New York. And, and it then, really is destroyed. Like, buildings are collapsed. The sky is orange. Uh oh, It is hell. It is awful. And Green Goblin, Hobgoblin just appear. And next thing I know, we're at, what was it, Daily Bugle? Just yeah. straight away at Daily Bugle. And we're fighting at the Daily Bugle. And 
everyone's mad at Spider-Man and why is everyone mad at Spider-Man? Well, we figure out straight away and it just keeps going so quick. Break and I guess neck. it's fair um, when I think of just how much and the grand scope of how much they're trying to get within this two-parter as well as the fact if, if you put it with Secret Wars, which is more of a four-parter and then you just tie it in with the rest of the series, which is, it felt very like whiplashy, mm. I'll say. And, and next other Spider-Man media that I'm used to. But it did also kind of feel like I was thrown into the middle of a comic series or, I don't know, it's a, a much more cohesive story structure than I kind of expected. I, I thought something a bit more episodic. And this was something near when they would start to do more of their two-parters. And I guess that might be the case here. But it seems like there's something a lot more concise going on for those who are actually longtime fans of the show, yeah. which must be satisfying for them as well. But for me, for my first time, really like wild. <laughs> Honestly, I just couldn't get past the fact that uh, Green Goblin sounded like Skeletor. Like the minute I realized that I had to like laugh <laughs> for like fifth, like 10 minutes. Like I didn't even realize that until what rewatching it. Cause it's been so long. This isn't my go-to Spider-Man thing to rewatch. It's like an every blue moon type of thing. Cause I'll admit there's a lot of parts of this show that really don't hold up. Like you said, it's the pacing. So like you said, Hobgoblin, Green Goblin, that's Daily Bugle. Boom, 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 boom. We learn their plan is to grab this microwave satellite. A microwave satellite. Anyways, they're there to grab this microwave satellite because <laughs> their boss is Spider Carnage. Okay, cool. Spider-Man comes in there. He stops them. And then, like you said, everybody hating on him and whatever. And they're confused because they're like, well, why is there another Spider-Man when we're supposed to be getting... You told us to do this. Cool, uh, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Goblin, Hobgoblin are like, yo, what up, man? I thought we were cool. Exactly. And then, you know, Hobgoblin has the coolest fucking villain uh, bomb ever. He has like a doll. He rips its head off and then gas comes out and then he blows up the entire building. And Spider-Man barely escapes. I will say for what they're trying to do here with the animation, um, it, it it's fun. Like it is really fun. And uh, the scope of what this episode is trying to to make me feel uh, as an audience member is how jeopardizing everything is here. Mm -hmm. um, but there is some weird, strange hokiness to everything that it feels like they wanted to take like some some fun and gimmick that you find in like Silver Age inspired stuff and tried to put it in something where children can find a way to really have something to tag along with if they ever find their way towards the comics. Mm -hmm. So I like when they have these little nods, like visually, a lot of the visuals in this cartoon, even though they aren't like the strongest or they haven't really been as remastered as much, say as other animated ventures for Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. When you look at the designs for Hobgoblin and his weaponry and Green Goblin, and even Spider-Man here, Joe J. J. Jonah Jameson, who's here at this moment. And when we move on and we meet these other cast of characters and other Spider-Men and even the Observer. Uh, and uh, you're just beyonder. to take them. I keep calling him the Observer. Why do I keep calling him the Observer? <laughs> there's the Watcher. There's the Observer. There's Beyonder. Like just a lot of. There's errors. so many, dude. <laughs> no. Uh, what was your thoughts on uh, Spider-Carnage? Okay, so Spider Carnage is such a really weird 
design choice to me. Uh, I think he looks a little funky, but I, I, I also think that he's corny enough where like it fits the attitude of the, of the episodes. Like he kind of only says a couple of things really. And it's how pissed he is, how much he wants to destroy everything and how much he is totally definitely not a clone. Yeah. And that he is very, very angry and that he hates people that are clones, which is just everyone but him. I thought he was creepy, like very like you could tell that uh the voice actor, like Christopher Daniel Barnes, who does Spider-Man, also did his voice. You could kind of tell that he was having a good time. Like he was just chomping oh, up those totally. lines. He was chomping them, especially like towards the end when he like uh like what, what, i don't know like his screaming and everything like i don't know that like just great that's that that's that uh silver age cheese you yeah. know that that this episode or not even just this episode that i'm guessing this this show has i would uh, say it's mostly just 90s cheese because even in the 90s it was this kind of, it was kind of this cheesy in some areas it's even fair. down to the fact that like spider-man describes whenever something happens to him did you did you notice that Oh yeah! Oh, oh totally. No, did you and know that it, this it, is the show where uh, Spider-Man doesn't punch any? He doesn't punch anybody. I didn't even notice that. Why is that? Censors for the TV, for the network. But there have been other times when he had fought before. Wasn't no, there? throughout the entire show, he primarily uses webs, or he swing kicks somebody, or he might wrestle about, with them. He doesn't throw punches. What about uh, other Spider-Man shows, though? Other Spider-Man shows, yeah, it's exactly Spider-Man. He can do it. Um, right. Yeah, a lot of shows. Yeah, they can they can do it, so, but like this show couldn't. What was it about this show then? Do you know any reason why? It was the network, Fox Kids. That's so that's so bizarre. Yeah. What a wild thing to say for a superhero show to not have Spider Man punch anything. Like, that's like telling the Pixar Cars movie to not have anything drive. Like, what's what are they doing then? They're just sitting there. You know what I mean? They're just parked. They're parks. Yeah. Not to be confused, but parks is Pixar's next film. Is it really? When it's a bunch of talking parks. Oh, I'm stupid. I really believed you for a second. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no. Uh oh my gosh. Okay, so our Spider Man that we follow, he then meets like Spider Carnage, and that's where we first see him, and it's trippy as fuck. Madden Webb then snags him up and we meet Wait, hold on. I had a I had a line here that I thought was really funny. I want to see if I can find it. Uh, when they run into each other, he goes like, his voice, he sounds like me. And he has my costume, but it can't be me. But he also just looks like Carnage. Listen, okay, I was going to mention that <laughs> later on. I don't understand how the fuck everybody keeps getting confused throughout the entire episode saying, there's two of them. Or how... They're quick to trust Spider Carnage, even though he looks gross and creepy as hell. That's what, what I'm saying. Like the dude looks evil. Like he looks legit evil. He looks like a villain that would be in a Ninja Turtles cartoon. Yeah. Also, Kinda, like, mind you, he's not classic. a he's not a he's not just made for the show. He's in the comics. Spider Carnage. Yes, he came out. He looks during the Clone Saga, like and which was oh. within the last couple of years when this episode came out. I mean, when Damon, that episode came out. I was told we were going to have some Spider-Verse cheese. You just made me watch the Clone Saga for 40 minutes. No, because they even yes, made a joke did. about the Clone Saga. They even said, wow, oh. this sounds like a bad comic book. Yes, they did. 
Oh my goodness. They threw that they shade. They were aware. They threw that whole thing. They were aware. And that was only like, what? About like a decade ago? Near mm-hmm. two decades ago? When the book came out? I mean, where the yeah. episode when came the Clone out? Clone Saga was going on? No. When was Clone Saga? Clone Saga was a big 90s thing. This It came out within 90s. the last like couple of years of that episode coming out in 98. Oh, so, like it was recent. Holy shit. So they're ragging on it while it's coming out yeah. too. That's funny. That's really good. So even comic fans knew that the Clone Saga at this time was becoming very like just too much, too like contrived and stuff. Yeah. Kind of similar to how currently in comics, people are really ragging on Spider-Man comics right now. Yeah, because they're not very good. <laughs> Admittedly, they haven't been very good recently. Yeah. I would say all around with this episode, I really loved um, the parts that really really stuck out to me was part two. Part two was a better episode than the first part one, primarily because we got to see the armored Spider-Man's universe and then we got a, like a really cool conclusion with Spider Carnage, especially when um, we got a little bit more of his motivation, which is kind of sad. And uh, the, some people have a theory that like Peter Parker has a lot of depression that really hasn't been unresolved. And like the fact that this Peter had gotten once he bonded with the symbiote had like a mental breakdown and is so depressed over the fact that the universe has allowed him to get bitten by that spider. He then just wants to kill everything. It's a little sad. It really is when you think about it. And like using Uncle Ben. Oh, yeah. It was kind of touching. I, I don't know. It was really touching. I, I can agree with that. I, I'll say one huge positive to both the episodes is getting some development into different Spider-Men. Yeah. Uh, now, I haven't read a whole lot of the Clone Saga myself. I know a lot of snippets. I've learned history about it. I've watched some video essays. I know that it can get very contrived and confusing very and when ben riley hit the scene in this uh pair of episodes i was really worried to see how they were going to handle that and when they go through this whole backstory of how he is believed to be a clone made by this doctor that was peter's friend not dr connor's though i forget the name of the doctor dr miles warren miles warren yes who's a creep he's a creep is he big creep? I guess he is uh, big creep. He, he makes clones. He's well. He's a big creep in the comics. He has this weird obsession with uh, Gwen Stacy, and he clones her. Oh, gross! Like actually, clones numerous. Oh, ones. that yeah, that's what happens, right? When when Peter sees Gwen Stacy, and he's like, "How can this be? You're dead!" And that's how they discover that that she's the clone. Yeah, yeah. Basically, like Miles Warner was. Uh, he was the uh, in the comics. He was uh, Peter and Gwen's professor, and he had like this weird obsession with Gwen. That is gross. Um, but I thought that that was interesting to see how they were able to find a way to boil it down and make it simple that he's not sure whether or not he was the clone, which is the whole thing of Clone Saga anyway. And I like that on top of everything else that's going on in what is believed to be the non-clone Spider-Man is going through such this yeah, this depressive and angry state in his life, uh, being alone and going through all this rage where Carnage is able to it felt like injustice. form with him. It did have an injustice feel to it, like when uh, Superman turns evil. It did have that kind of like like vibe to it, seeing him with like Kingpin and the goblins. And I really would have liked to have seen him with a lot of other villains, too. 
but it was cool to see him in these type of team ups. But even uh, like we got to have a bit of time with Observer and Madame Web again, which I love when we get to talk about Madame Web because she really is such a bizarre character to me. But the voice but, actress who did her in the show, I fucking love her. And you know who she is? No, I do not. Stan Lee's wife. No way. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, can we also talk about, we'll get to it here, but one thing that I, that I didn't enjoy about the show, though, was because of the pacing, it felt as though that a lot of the different Spider-Men that were shown, we didn't get to see a whole lot done. I thought it was really cool to see how they had a Doc Ock Spider-Man before, way before Superior Spider-Man was even done. Yeah. I thought I, that was a nice little funny touch. Actually, I wrote um, all the Spider-Men that we've seen in this, these uh, episodes. So we have a total of six, I believe. So yeah. here it is. We have we have the Armored Spider-Man. We have the Scarlet mm -hmm. Spider. We have Spider-Ock. And then we have Genetic Nightmare Spider-Man, who has like the four arms. And we also have our Spider-Man, the, the main Spider-Man. And then we have a Spider-Man who is powerless, who we learn is TV show Spider-Man, where he doesn't have any powers, he's from the real world, and he's just a character on TV. He's just some dude. I think that TV Spider-Man may calm. have been the, the one thing I was the most annoyed with this really? episode. I did not find that entertaining at all. Really? Well, for me, I was like, oh, okay, they're going to do some fun reveal where he's actually Norman Osborn or something. That'll be really cool. But then he was like, uh, yeah, because one of his very first lines is like, I don't even have powers. And they're like, or he was like, I'm not even Peter Parker. I don't even have powers. And they're like, who are you? And he's just like, just, let's just say I'm on your side. So I'm like, okay, it must be like a villain in a different universe I'm turned dead. into like a Spider-Man, which would have been cool. Like, let's. You know, like, I, I I don't think that's ever been done before, right? Of Green Goblin being Spider-Man? Not that I can think of. I know that there was a Flash Thompson as Spider-Man. See, or that would have been cool. Flash Thompson being this Spider-Man would have been really cool. May have been a fun thing for the character because Flash isn't really shown in this much. Except maybe in the more in the second episode. And uh, Iron Spider did not care for him. And you, I get he's it. A bitch. He's like a he was a bitch. Yeah. That's all I got to say. And like, I get that that's bitch. like the point was I'm not supposed to like him and he is meant to be a dick. But fuck him. He's a billionaire. Eat the rich. <laughs> fuck that hoe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just laughing over the fact that uh, going back to what you were saying, though, it was a way that when he said when he said he didn't have any powers, the way that the shot had all the Spider-Man turn and look at him like, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, they're like, what are you doing here then? Like, who are you? No, it, they, <laughs> what they really wanted to say was... You need to leave! There it is. <laughs> I'll also say that it was really fun to get to see Gwen Stacy here yeah. for the very last episode and get to see that there is a Spider-Man that gets to have a Gwen Stacy at the end, even though Gwen Stacy wasn't shown at all in the show. I know that. Yeah, I know that this was her first time and only time because she was shown in like the last episode. And she was uh, voiced by Mary Kay Bergman. Rest in peace. Um, she was the original voice of Batgirl in Batman the Animated Series and Daphne in um, the 90s movies. That's an iconic role right there. 
90s yeah. Daphne, probably peak Daphne. Yeah. 90s, 90s Scooby-Doo up to what's new Scooby-Doo. I think that was peak. It due really to those was. voice actors. And then sprinkle in the live action movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the sophisticated, they know that. Yeah. For the but no, uh, getting to see Gwen Stacy here was really cool. Getting to see J. Jonah Jameson in this alternate Spider-Man reality where he is cool with Peter Parker and also knows that he's Spider-Man because at, at one point we're going into different universes all because Spider-Carnage wants to obliterate the universe with his atomizer, with the kingpin. With the and microwave satellite. With the microwave satellite. How yes. the hell could a microwave satellite do that? And first of all, if a microwave satellite could do that, why the fuck did the Daily Bugle have one of those things? If, if you're telling me that I could use it to <laughs> amplify something to create a multi-dimensional weapon that can destroy life as we know it in every single dimension, what? Yeah, you see, J. Jonah Jameson's son, you know, he's an astronaut. He thought it was a paperweight. So he gave it to his dad as like a souvenir. That's a big ass. That's my headcanon. That is a big ass paperweight. Hey, you know, whatever. It was filling up like room in like his garage or like the work office space. And it's, it's like, we got to get this out of here. We don't need it. Spider Carnage needed it though. And he gets to have Kingpin and everyone believe that it's going to be like some teleporter or something or to go through time and space and everything, uh, which I thought yeah, was really they believed cool. believed him, though. What the fuck? <laughs> I thought that that was fun, though. Like, yeah, really stupid and ridiculous. Like, really, you're going to trust a guy that looks super clearly like demon evil. But I thought it was, again, a fun little way to get Kingpin into the story and have that kind of team up. Mm. See him in uh, Iron Spider's universe when they thwart Spider Carnage. So he hops into uh metal spider-man iron spider whatever douche spider into his universe and i thought it was fun it added a lot of like fun campiness to it in that second episode especially mm -hmm. but i do have to say here i don't know how i feel about the whole uncle ben thing really i like the uncle ben thing now i would say there were bits in that little monologue that it kind of fell through but you know what for time's sake i was okay with it and honestly well, it was at this point where i was like everyone on the voice cast you guys are doing a great job it's a little over over the top but like you guys are playing you're, you're playing it very earnestly especially uncle I, ben and especially uh spider carnage in that scene that uh, uh, the couple moments between spider carnage and uncle ben were nice getting to see that spider-man vanquish carnage one last time but having him like sacrifice himself i thought was a bit strange that was random and, and then uncle ben and then, was like oh he did what he had to do what yeah uncle ben what? was like he had to die shit dude. happens he had to die it's meanwhile okay. when peter saw uncle ben die we got this whole well we got everything that happens here honestly because uncle ben dies but when uncle ben sees peter die he's just gonna fucking dime a dozen these kids you know well, Jay, that's because he looked de demonic. Like that, that Peter was obviously just gross. He was like, you know what? <laughs> my Peter's perfect, and he pays for my house. So, you know what? It's fine, as long as it's not Fuck my Peter. Fuck that Peter. <laughs> my Peter's a billionaire. Yeah. I don't have Uncle to... Ben supports the rich. Eat Uncle Ben. Hey, he was like, you know what? 
him, me, and me and my, me and his aunt May don't have to worry about bills no more because our Peter's rich. Yeah, was Aunt May really? Aunt May wasn't really in the episode at all a lot either. I would have liked if any like mainstay roles from the series had popped up a lot more in these last two episodes. It really does feel like our Spider-Man or like the main series Spider-Man gets so disconnected from everything to just go on this one last wild like hurrah adventure. Mm-hmm. Maybe it felt very like fun and satisfying for those who are fans. I mean, so, this episode you know, was like done on a cliffhanger because they expected to be brought back. It didn't get brought back because I think uh, bankruptcy. Oh, Marvel bankruptcy. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, to close out on it, then before we go into our Spider Verse talk, do we want to talk about the ending of these two episodes? Yeah, I gotta say the so, ending in this second episode. I'd say it was a nice little bow, and honestly, I found myself in a little like nostalgic and a little emotional after watching it because, like I said, I watched it a couple of different times when I was younger, and it was kind of emotional and very meta. In a similar way that Across the Spider-Man is meta towards Spider-Man. In across that, the Spider-Man? Bye. Uh, in Across the Spider-Verses, yeah. Like, it, it's very meta in that the ending for this episode has our Spider-Man, Peter Parker, like the, the main dude, uh, going to the real world, meeting Stan Lee, rest in peace. They're having a whole conversation, and then... Basically, Peter feels like he's overcame a lot throughout yeah. the entire series and says, it like, you know, for once, I feel happy. And Stanley, Stan who sounds young as fuck. Yeah. In this, he sounds so young in this episode, but the character model makes him still look super old. I mean, that's how he looked back then, too. I still. guess my man was just born to look elderly. Uh-uh. That was, that was so out of pocket. Cursed. That was so out but of pocket. But it's the truth. Even look at pictures of him when he's like a young adult. My dude looks old as shit. Oof. He does. I'm sorry. I can't even man, lie. You're not wrong. You can't tell me that that man wasn't smoking cigars left or I mean, days. he was. He did my smoke man, cigars. My man had a hankering for smoking them penises. You know what I'm saying? Woo. Happy Pride Month. I like the little joke that he had towards uh, Jack Kirby at the beginning now, too. That was fun. That was nice, too. Yeah. The one issue that I had was the very ending, though. Now, we didn't talk about it a whole lot here, Soups, but during a lot of these different backstories that we see back and forth, uh, Mary Jane has been talked about a fair amount because she has died for her main series. Well, supposedly she has died in the main Spider-Man's universe. And she comes back in a brief stint as a clone, and they learn that she's a clone. But the ending is like Madame Webb goes to the main Spider-Man after this fantastic feat, after the events of the Secret Wars, after leading these team of elite Spider-Men to vanquish this giant multiverse, multi-dimensional threat. She goes, hey. Mary Jane's alive. Uh, do you want to go find her now? Well, she says she she says I think you deserve to be happy for once. And she's like, "No, actually, now, I wrote this down. Once. Her line was great. Her line was great. She said face front true believer." Uh and she was like, "Wait, something something. We're going to go find the real Mary Jane Watson." And then the series ends and we never see him get Mary Jane Watson. Well, actually, 
I think a couple of years ago, the entire cast were at a comic book comic con and they did a little table reading of a snippet of what that next episode would have looked like. And there's even an animatic that goes with it. I'll send it to you after the show. You can send me whatever you want, bub. Non-canon's non-canon. And it I stick canon. with it. It is canon. That it, it was written by it's them. Not, it was written by them, but it was not aired. Blame Marvel's bankruptcy. I will totally blame Marvel's bankruptcy. I love to blame Marvel for things. Right. I was born in the 2000s. Of course I love to blame Marvel for things. That's like the whole reason why we were born now. Bye. But, you know, on some real stuff, though, if you're curious about what happened to Mary Jane, I think a couple seasons ago uh, in the show. So they did like kind of an homage to Gwen Stacy where and I think and a lot of people have been theorizing this. Sam Raimi borrowed a lot for the 90s show. I think he watched the show for preparation for the movies. But uh, the Green Goblin brings Mary Jane onto the bridge. And the Green Goblin also has this um, dimensional projector, which belongs. I, I love how you call it the bridge, by the way. Yeah. The bridge. Like, Just the bridge. You know which bridge we're talking about. We all know. We, we, the, the bridge where people's necks break. That, 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 that's what it is. Why? Neck break bridge. <laughs> New York City's own neck break bridge. Not the heartbreak bridge, guys. The neck break. Nah, the neck break bridge. Yeah. Are you excited to bring you and your family across that bridge whenever you're like touring through the NYC? Now I'm thinking about it. I'm wondering if in New York it's just common knowledge. Actually, you know, it has to be because when Gwen Stacy died, the police and the people were all down there. And then even in the book called uh, Marvels, which is like it's a anthology story that's told from the perspective of like a photographer who is in the Marvel Universe. And he's just talking about mm -hmm. the rise of the Marvel Universe. He even acknowledges that that happened, and that's one of the reasons why he kind of, like, retired. That kind of makes me think of um, in other different, like, classic, like, cartoons or movies or even, like, video games when it's just, like, very obvious, dangerous things are called very obvious, dangerous things. Mm -hmm. Like, in Zelda, like, there's a giant, like, volcanic uh, island in in the game. And everyone's like, hey, you see that mountain over there? We call that Death Mountain. <laughs> and like that's <laughs> I just love the simplicity of it. That's mm -hmm. that's why I'm naming the bridge now. Neckbreaker Bridge. You can fill in the dots why. Anyways. So anyway, yeah. So takes Mary Jane to Neckbreaker Bridge. Takes her there. He has this uh the same thing that Spider Carnage was using, that projector thing, which belongs to the spot. And basically uh, he opens a portal and throws her in there and the projector breaks and Spider-Man can't find her. The season goes on. Mary Jane's aunt is getting a little testy and she hires uh, the police to look into her disappearance and she ends up, I think, hiring the Punisher to look into her disappearance because I think the Punisher is like a private investigator in this show but also hey. still the punisher what yeah that's a fun little dynamic yeah uh does he ever have his own crossover with howard the duck co-pis no now it just blade imagine, does make a cameo uh, in this show though blade is in this show he actually has like a couple episodes that's really cool 
but now I'm just stuck imagining the Marvel universe that exists where Howard the Duck is the Punisher. There's probably a Marvel I, What If comic of that. I think that's just a really funny image. But now I'm imagining him as Daredevil, and I like that image even more. Anyway, I'll get stuck in my Howard the Duck tangent. But anyway, Mary Jane gone for a while. It was like their own little twist on the Gwen Stacy thing. So the fact that she's alive and he's going to find her, great, fantastic, amazing even. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was a really good ending, especially the music. I think the crown jewel and real MVP of these episodes was the voice acting and the music and maybe nostalgia. For me, I will totally say that it is the visuals and the hokey writing, because a lot of the writing, even though I didn't think myself that it was really great, I thought that it was really fun and really funny. And it has that 90s cheese that I love when that itch gets scratched. You know, I love the cheesy and hokey stuff, Damon. You know, I do. And this isn't completely in that route, say, like something like Adam West or anything like on that scale. Far from it. But it does have a lot of those lines there for sure, where it bends and breaks. And you can tell that people are having fun because this is just a lovable Saturday morning cartoon that had found its conclusion. But you can't tell me, at least for me, I'm not satisfied with the ending. It kind of makes me think at the end episode in Toy Story 2 for Woody's Roundup, where they show Woody jumping over to the giant cliff. And it's like, will Woody make it to the other side of the cliff? Find out next time. But the next time never comes, Damon. We never know if he makes it to the other side of the cliff. They made a trend of TikTok on that. We're using the audio. Are you serious? They did. Jay, get yourself a damn TikTok. I need to get back on TikTok. I do have a TikTok. I just don't use it very often. Yeah, Soup. I'm I, the one primarily doing the TikTok stuff. Jay's barely on there, guys. I make TikToks. She I do, does. I she do does, make yeah. TikToks. I just, I don't, I don't indulge. I don't sit. I, I used to during around COVID, but then I noticed that I would go on throughout the nights and just scrolling and that became a problem. So yeah. I just never really got into it and. That's yeah. understandable here, though. But, Soups, you heard it here first. You heard it here first. We talked about the very first Spider-Verse. But face front, true believers, because let's go across the Spider-Verse. And let's start with our, like, first opinions. This is going to be our spoiler-free talk. Maybe give you about, like, yep. five, ten minutes of us discussing our thoughts. And yep. then we're going to have a brief moment and then just a little brief moment of our non-spoilers. Exactly. As well. And then when Miss Daenerys presses that button. When Miss Daenerys presses the soundboard button. Which button? Which soundboard? With the horn. D- Daenerys, you got to be on it. It's Spider-Verse time, baby. Yeah. So when you hear that, thanks, Daenerys. When you hear that, we're going to be getting into spoilers. You want to go first? Me go first? How do we want to go I love the movie. This? I would say it is a 10 out of 10. I love the movie. The movie was very good. Very dark. It was darker than the first one. Um, it kind of gave me like the vibes. And I love whenever movies do, the, do this type of thing where they do the whole Star Wars thing. First movie, fun, great. Second movie, darker. And third movie, I don't know what third movie is looking like, but yeah. 
I also went into this movie forgetting that it was a two-parter because I remember that this movie was originally called Across the Spider-Verse Part 1, but then they changed it last minute. So, I don't know. I liked it a lot. My favorite character in the movie would have to be Miles or Miguel O'Hara. No, actually, no, take that back. Spider-Punk. Spider-Punk was up there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Spider-Punk was pretty cool, yeah. And this movie was very meta and subtle in a lot of different ways, especially the way it addressed um, Miles being Afro-Latino and then even him being different and even just meta towards Spider-Man as a character in general, which is making me wonder where they're throwing shade at some shit happening in some areas. But I don't know. That's all I got to say. No spoilers. I had a really fun time. I'd probably give this movie an eight out of 10. Eight. I now. Some people may call me contrarian. I thought into the Spider-Verse was better. What? There's just something about that story where it feels a lot more concise and the character is a lot more rooted. And this, as a sequel to that, it works fine. But this is definitely a movie where they're just allowed to just have a lot of fun and really make this huge love letter to not just Spider-Man as a character, but all these different Spider-Man characters that hop in even for a split second in a frame here or there. I thought a lot of the story was very enjoyable. I enjoyed a lot of the combat, but overall I felt as though that there was just something a lot stronger with the story. The first go around that I feel like I'm going to be popping that one in a lot more still like I do now. A lot of the characters in this one are very strong you know they're very they're they're written very well there are certain points where i was nervous whenever spider-man was going to have that moment where you know he's going to have a joke any of them because there's so many spider-men and that it was going to fall flat but none of the jokes that i look back on really ever fell flat it was allowing itself to have a lot of fun which is something that lord and miller are known to do with their other work like Lego movie and of course into the Spider-Verse and all that other stuff. No no real issues there. I just feel as though to me that first one was so much stronger. The character that I loved the most I think in this film was probably Gwen Stacy. I had a lot of fun with her character and we got to get a whole lot more uh development with her and her family and her world, as well as a couple other spider characters. Not as much as I had wanted in other characters, though. You know, I will say for those at home, and this may be a bit mini-spoilery for you, for those who really care a great deal, but, you know, we've made it here this far. You gotta sound the alarm but, if we're gonna go in spoilers. Well, no, this isn't anything I would consider a spoiler, okay. though. But if you're hoping to have, like, a fun moment with characters like Spider-Man Noir or... Uh, Penny or Spider-Ham or any of those characters from the first movie, don't get too comfortable. This isn't their story. Those were fantastic characters that do get their little nods here and there because this is a Spider-Verse film and we have to address all these different spiders. But we really are getting a whole new fresh cast of main and 
supportive characters that are taking the the front seat here and it's refreshing to know that we can see like this new redevelopment of these different characters and have it still very concise especially when you think of the fact that seven of them are still peter parker but the ones that we're following aren't peter parker but they do have their own peter parker and i will say this uh peter b parker who was our main sweatpants, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, and Into the Spider-Verse. Not as great in this one by comparison as well. Do you want to just get into spoilers? No, I don't feel like this is a spoiler either. That, trust me, I'll, I'll the spoiler stuff, I'll say whether spoilers. Okay, I got you. Um, Daenerys, stand on standby. But, yeah, right? But I feel as though that he was not as strong of a character this go around in comparison to when he was in the first film. And that kind of upset me a little bit just because I really did enjoy that character. Now he does have his own fun character moments too, and his own development really happy with that. Can't say I have any real complaints about it, but I feel as though that he kind of got, taken down a peg a bit with how they handled his humor it was mainly only his stuff when i would kind of ever really have the feeling of wanting to roll my eyes or i agree with you you on that like i you know what i'm ready for spoilers are you okay hit that button naris you ready damon i'm ready all right here it comes guys this is your spoiler warning here it comes There it is. Uh, so, Andrew Garfield, right? Can we talk about that real fucking quick? No, I wanted to talk more about Peter B. Parker because going off what you just said, I was a little like, okay, I wish he was in the movie more. However, he still had a very important part in the movie. And I don't know. I understand this is Miles' movie more so than Peter's story. And I get that 100%. I'm okay with that. Uh, and I know that like Peter B. Parker is supposed to be the main Spider-Man. Um, and I like the fact that they are not in, our, in your face about that. They're like, yeah, you, you, if you know, you know, but this is Miles' story. But his most important part that I honestly didn't really think about until after I left the theater was when he was asking Miles to hold the baby. And at first I thought it was just played for jokes. But when you really think about it, it's like he's saying this baby wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. So you being Spider-Man and you being who you are is a blessing and still is a good thing. Yes, that was that was a great piece of character moment and mm-hmm. development. I'll say I'll say that uh, he, he nothing ever felt out of character for this character. Uh, an example I think I'll use here and this is a weird I'm surprised Contrast. that he didn't turn on Miguel and everybody else because I thought I really would have thought he would have helped Miles. I mean, he kind of is. He's kind of going to, yeah. you know, but Gwen also didn't turn straight away either. Um, but anyway, I'm glad that they didn't go down the route where he was too contrasting of a character, how it felt like it was going to be for a quick moment when he finally appeared on screen because he really doesn't show up until pretty late into the film yeah. though it doesn't feel pretty late into the film i never really was ex- wanting the film to end in a way either yeah. like it never felt like there was a time when the film i mean i could tell 
narratively when we were getting to our turning points and the climax and everything. But it, I felt both satisfied, but also looking forward to the sequel. Anyway, I'm still getting ahead of myself. They could have made Peter the same way how I would argue Wreck-It Ralph was flanderized from his movies. In the mean? first one, he gets his full story and development. We see him turn from this uh, sad character and his wants and desires and goes down this adventure and he develops and we have these heartwarming connecting moments with Ralph as a character in Wreck-It Ralph. But then in the sequel film, it's a lot more focused on Vanellope, like the little girl. Mm-hmm. And Ralph is kind of put into his simplest form where he's just telling jokes and he's a bit stupid and or they kind of exaggerate how incompetent he is this one by comparison to the first movie. And they make him as like super clingy and overattached. And they just made him seem like such a different character by the time his sequel came around. Now, I would imagine that there was a lot more love and a lot more prep work and a lot more stuff put into this than I would say Wreck-It Ralph 2. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe Disney was like, this is it. This is the moneymaker. We're putting our soul into Ralph Breaks the Internet. I don't think that was the case, but maybe they did. Showed a lot better than this one, though. Um, to the point where that stuff didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. The live action stuff, though, I, I don't know if that bothered me or not. But I enjoyed it every time I saw it. Yeah, I liked... I don't know who wh- I'm cu- at this point after this movie. I I want to know what the fuck is in Marvel and Sony's contract because they didn't let anyone know what's in their contract. And it seems like little by little we're seeing how far their contract reaches. And I feel like in their new contract they have with Sony, they agreed to let Sony reference MCU shit because Donald Glover as the Prowler. Okay. Miguel O'Hara flat out referencing the MCU. And I'm also kind of surprised that Miguel gave them the correct Earth label. Because in the MCU, they try to say that they're 616, but they're not 616. They're supposed to be 199999. And they did discuss 19999. Yeah, and they literally said like, like Doctor Strange and Spider-Man, he referenced MCU. I don't know. It's very interesting. Uh I don't know. I have a lot of different thoughts. And then they even showed uh, the live action bits with like with Andrew and all that stuff. And then even when they showed the yeah, when they showed uh, his uncle Ben dying. Yeah. And then when they were talking about the canon, one of the things that they had on the canon was Spider-Man getting married to Mary Jane. And then uh, it kind of just felt like they were being very meta towards what's happening in the comics with Spider-Man a little bit in some areas. And um, even Spectacular Spider-Man, I was so fucking pumped. They, I thought they were just going to have him have like a little joke and keep it moving. No, this bitch had fucking three lines. What? Yeah, he showed up uh, a couple of times. They even had his Uncle Ben death scene shown. Yeah, and then they the even film. progressed the show a little bit and said that his Captain Stacy died. Yes. I saw that too, and I was like, I don't remember that from the show. That at didn't all. happen in the show, but they that showed it. They still showed it, and I thought it's that making was me want to see what happens next in the show. Was, I thought it was wild that uh, they showed Andrew Garfield. Yeah, especially because there's all these talks now 
that he's going to actually be for real the Morbius Venom universe Spider-Man. And I don't know. I think if that's the case, there now may be the time when they might find the way to satisfy Spider-Man fans and just give him that movie because he just had, was in No Way Home. Not and he that stole the show. Ago. Everyone's talking about him. Everyone did enjoy him in that. He did have a very small moment when they showed his Captain Stacy die because I, I guess everyone but who is listening to this already understands the Spider-Verse. So I guess we don't have to explain why. But yeah. I thought I thought it was so wild, this idea of like, no, all these Uncle Ben's or someone significant has to die. They always have to give that responsibility speech. They always have to go through this and X, Y, and Z. And the thing that bothers me, though, about it is if Spider-Man or Miles Morales was not meant to be Spider-Man, according to Miguel, why is it that he will have to go through those events though? just because he's the one who got bit. I feel as though that's the only plot hole as well to the story. I think there's more at play because there's a lot of theories that are going around saying that like that Miguel O'Hara isn't the same Miguel O'Hara that we saw in the end credits in the first movie. And some people are theorizing that like, cause like technically the movie, yeah, the spot is the villain, but it felt like there was something else that they're building towards. So oh, yeah, dude. I don't the know. Spot being so prominent too. No, the spot creeped me wild. out towards the end, and I was like talking to Marcus about this. I was talking about how, because uh, in the comics, the spot has always been like a joke villain. In like 2014, in the Mark Way Daredevil run, they kind of did this way to like revitalize the spot, and they made him creepy as fuck. He became like the coyote, and then his powers materialized, and he became like a hole that was falling into itself. It was gross as fuck and weird and creepy. Which they kind of did here. Yeah. That kind of happened in this. I thought it was kind of funny that he, ha- he was just the guy who got hit by a bagel. Yeah. That was, first, that was like I, I just thought that that was such a funny little thing that they didn't have to add. And that's the Lord and Miller kind of writing that I just enjoy. No, the stop especially the motion Lego, Lego moment. That shit was yeah. fucking hilarious. Especially when he pulled out the Dude. communicator and he was like, boop, 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 beep, beep, boop, boop. Dude, you know what that means? Hmm. That means that the Lego movies are canon to the Spider-Verse. Which means Lego Batman is canon to the MCU, which means when all you fuckers at home watch your MCU timelines, you have to add Lego Ninjago now. Enjoy that. Have fun with that. I forgot Lego Ninjago was the movie that went to theaters. I forgot about that. They also had a... A really fun TV series. I don't know if it. I remember the TV so series. I do. I remember them when the movie came out. Though a lot of people were kind of annoyed that the TV series was basically like not connected to the movie. Dude, that pissed me off. Like it was a lot of the same like story beats that were from the show that was put into the movie. So it was like, oh, some things are here, but a lot of it was kind of just not, or it felt like it was shoved in there because it would have made Ninjago fans happy. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I don't mean to get so far into Ninjago, but I th- I just thought that that was funny that that all is kind of like canon. I loved that we got to see another use of like the Spider-Man point meme with a bajillion different Spider-Men, seeing different uh, Doc Ox, different Rhinos. Did you that, laugh at the 67 uh, joke though? 60 Spider-Man yes. joke? Where, where yes. Where it played that sound. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> you, will, you will be sad to know that I was the only person in the audience 99% of the time laughing out loud. 
Oh, and my I theater was a laughing. good number of times. My my theater was so dead. And granted, there wasn't a lot of people in the theater, but it was really, really dead in there. And oh, kind of made the experience not bad necessarily, but I felt if I maybe gone in during the premiere, I would have had a, a different kind of enthusiasm in the room that would have probably helped a bit more. But overall, I still had a wonderful time. Yeah, I had an early um, screening. Somebody, everybody in the audience, when it said to be continued, a lot of people were like, what the fuck? Or either they were like, what? Oh, really? No yeah. one knew that this was going to be a two-parter? I yeah. feel like that was advertised for a long time. It was advertised when they were, like, when the first trailer dropped. And then, because remember, I'm pretty sure this got pushed back a year. And I remember they, like, took off the part one like subtitle under it and just named it across the spider verse and then the second movie they changed the title to something else beyond the yeah Spider-verse. personally i feel like if we're gonna do two parters again can we stop can we actually like actually put part one part two because when it's not there it's making people not realize oh shit okay or maybe it's a marketing ploy to like get them to go watch it regardless i I feel as though people just need to do their research. A lot of movies have been doing that forever. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, uh, now, granted, maybe in conversation, if you don't know the movies very well, yeah, get people confused with it. But I think if you add, like, part two, part three, part four, and you make, I don't know, start making titles seem, like, hokey or or lose a lot of that creativity. Plus, beyond the Spider-Verse. What's beyond the Spider-Verse? What more can these guys really do? There was a couple of Spider-Men that I would have loved to have seen a lot more, but I, I di- also did not expect to see. Oh my goodness! Did you also notice when they had shown cutscene footage from the Amazing Spider-Man game? Yes, I did see that. It was what a the deep fuck dive. Was that they did a what whole deep dive. Okay, and then on top of that, it's the fact that Josh Keaton from Spectacular and Yuri Lowenthal from the video games. When they were asked before the movie came out, they were like, no, we're not in the movie. It's probably just a visual cameo. Those fuckers lied. They're in the movie. <laughs> I'm still, Which is I, awesome. I, I feel like they purposely gave Spectacular those lines because I know how beloved that show is. And, you know, I'm, I was happy about it. I was like fucking, fucking losing my mind with that. Yeah, and I got to say, as a black person and a person of color, I loved how Miles was written. And I loved how his parents were written in this. And I liked the subtleties and nuances and what was being said. And her speech about how her biggest, like Miles' mom's speech about his her biggest fear is that him feeling as though he doesn't belong someplace when in actuality he does. It's a double entendre. Yes, it could be taken as the whole Spider-Man thing. Obviously, the movie does show it in that way. But it's also a double entendre of experiencing racism in places that aren't predominantly filled with people that look like you, you know? And um, I don't know. I just loved it. I loved that movie so much. And it was very, like, I don't know. I can go into more details about that, but just, I don't know. Across no, the Spider-Verse. I agree. I, I thought everyone was written very well. I, I thought th- all the character moments with Miles and his parents were very touching. I loved all the visual artwork to express the emotions between Gwen and her father. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of great visual moments that Ooh, really does amazing. that that doing the show kind of actually helped 
me enjoy the the experience a bit more i think because going through and reading different comic books and different styles of comics now over just within this past few stretch of months and seeing how these animators have looked through different spider-man comics and now yeah. just through different comic mediums and or different comic books in general and how they can find ways to really bring those different styles to life within these animated within their own animated styling however you want to describe it it, it was beautiful At certain points it kind of made me want to play uh i forget what the name of the video game is that came to my mind when i was looking ultimate at spider-man it. oh geez no not ultimate spider-man um but I also saw that PS4 Spider-Man was being played by, uh, I think that's Genki. Yeah, it is. I'm so glad Um, that he's uh, in in the movie. It made me think of, it wasn't a Spider-Man game. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Like a lot of visuals. No, it wasn't Epic. (laughs) Now now you made me think of Epic. Okay, okay. True shit. There was a couple of people on my social media that had taken a couple of frames from when Gwen is talking to her dad. And behind her, it looks like that the trans flag is being made behind her. So, like, trans Twitter was going off. And for a while, I was like, wait, did they... Is Gwen Stacy, like, confirmed trans? What's going on here? And when I saw the movie, I can report to everyone at home, no, that is not the case. It is just really beautiful visuals. It it stands for something else entirely. But the memes were going crazy about it. I was, I was like, "Whoa, is this actually what they're gonna do?" There's Not a lot of discourse do. on Twitter about it too. There really is. Really? Yeah, a lot of people are um like they're talking about how that story really like it really um made them feel as though that the story was based around like it, it, they said that the story had a trans allegory or it at least could be re- re- um, read that way. And there's some people who debate it, and it's going back and forth and everything. Um, I, I will say I, I love the thinking. visuals for Gwen's world, and I like the fact that they really took a lot from her comic book covers and the artists who worked on those books. Same with the spot. The spot was also very fun to watch, uh, both in his action sequences, uh, just as well as his own little character moments. I didn't expect to care for the character as much as i did mm-hmm. but I, I i thought he was very fun a very entertaining character the music was gorgeous um, in this movie like the music in this movie is i think a thing that a lot of people are oh, talking about yeah. the music was the amazing the soundtrack the effects uh sound effects but like the score this movie had a huge like had more of an edge than the previous one and yes there's a lot of moments at least for me it felt creepy. Like I went to go see it with uh, Marcus and uh, Blake and I was talking about how the ending, I felt uncomfortable. I was, it was getting kind of creepy because of the music, especially you, the use of like a twisted version of the Prowler theme from the first movie. Yes. Love it. That was nice. And no, I, I thought that the soundtrack was one of the best that I've heard in a while for a film. And I thought was way better than even like Galaxy's yeah uh, guardians of the galaxy's uh latest soundtrack the soundtrack was I, curated by metro out. boomin metro boomin yeah okay uh rapper he did the music for like the main needle drops and other stuff like that and then the score was the same guy but he also used uh like it felt like they were kind of like collaborating almost so my my bad for cutting you off but go ahead no like this is this is something i'd be willing to get on a vinyl 
and add yeah. to my collection because I do own a couple like movie soundtracks. This is one I have to add to the list. Maybe into the Spider Verse too because I do find myself going back and listening to that one as but well. Best in my luck own finding it because I think it's pretty expensive now. Right, uh, no, I'm sure someone's got to have it. Yeah, the vinyl I really want to get though, I think uh, came out a couple months ago. It was the Spider-Man movie, the first one, and it came out on vinyl recently. And the case for it looks amazing. It's embossed, and then it comes with like a poster and all this shit. I haven't got it yet, but I really want to get it. Yeah, that sounds like two hundred dollars already. No, it's only twenty-five dollars. Only twenty-five? Yeah, that's crazy. That's way too low. Yeah. They could overprice that. Um. No, I thought I, I enjoyed the ending too. I I felt like I said, it felt satisfying. Everything felt very satisfying visually. The soundtrack was awesome. I, I enjoyed the action scenes. The the use of movement and speed in the animation was very enjoyable. Allowing them to really get crazy with the visuals too and the different types of art styles was just so wonderful. I'm I'm nervous as to what's going to happen next for Miles and his family. I can't believe that all this stuff at the ending has happened now mm-hmm. with Miles, this alternate Miles being the prowler in a in a New York without a Spider-Man. I I I'm just looking forward to seeing what's going to yeah. happen next. But I also loved just how this movie was and I also feel satisfied enough where I'm not sitting here super antsy for that next one either. Hmm. And that's something that a lot of movies I think have some issues with where they leave so much out of the second one. Cause they know that that third one's coming and they want to get that hype established, but this film knew that it was going to have the hype. Like this film knew what it was and it allowed itself to have its own story, which I think has a great, use and argument for allegory of of transness but also a great use of allegory of of race or or just what the story does mean in its own of of finding that way of belonging and being okay with just being yourself and letting people accept that that's what you are to get along and i enjoyed that too it was it was a different mixture to what miles had learned from the first story to becoming Spider-Man. Now it feels like he's growing up to become Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for that. I'm excited to not just see a Spider-Man story. I'm excited to see a Miles Morales story. And if you can do that for a Spider-Man that isn't Peter Parker, then that means that you have done exactly what you need to do to make a Spider-Man on that same bar. And I'm not saying that Into the Spider-Verse didn't do that, but if you didn't feel like it that they did that for that film... They definitely matched it here. Well, true believers, you heard it here first. We loved Across the Spider-Verse. Loved it, loved it, loved it. But we really, really want to know, what did you guys think? What are your theories? What are your thoughts on that movie? Let's uh, start a little conversation on it. And also be sure to tell us your thoughts on the 90s Spider-Man animated series. Thanks for joining us on this giant-sized Super Saturdays episode And be sure to give us your answers by reviewing the show or messaging us on Instagram at Super Saturdays Podcast, TikTok at Super Saturdays Pod, and Twitter at Super Saturday PC. All your messages and your reviews and your comments can make their way on the show. This was Super Saturdays. I'm Damon. 
And I'm Spider-Man. And you can find uh, my friend here, Spider-Man from Earth 7225, and me, Spider-Man from Earth J, because that's where I'm from. Everyone here is uh, J, but also Spider-Man. Uh, at Damon underscore 1003, and at uh, Spider-Man the Movie Gal, which is where you can find me, Spider-Man. Hey, Supes. Do you enjoy the music here on the podcast? Then why don't you check out our buddy Jake Voigt at jakevoigtmusic.com. 